Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. It's November Sweeps Month on the Total She's Show, and I am very, very happy with the numbers. The listeners are doing their part by listening to the show. They are. And they all listened to Gary Michael Capetta last week, who I said was the second best ring announcer. Truth is... I believe he's as good or better than Finkel, like you do, and he's a great guy. What a, what an amazing guy to have on the podcast last week. This week, we've got promoter extraordinaire, the promoter of CWE Wrestling, Danny Duggan, who runs the most shows across the greatest geographical region in Canada, and he's going to tell us all about his business. I can't wait for that. Last week was the 25th anniversary of the Montreal Screwjob, and I said I was going to talk about that. But then Chris said I was running heavy on time. He told me I had to <laughs> yeah. I had to cut something, and we ended up cutting the Montreal Screwjob. I was a wet blanket. Now, if you know anything about me, I don't care what people tell me is the truth. I look beneath the surface of what the truth might be. Mike is a conspiracy theorist. Not no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Because I believe there's more to the JFK assassination, people think I'm a conspiracy theorist. But I don't think that I don't think the pandemic was a giant conspiracy, and I might be wrong about that. I don't think 9-11, I, I, 9-11 seems weird to me, yeah. right? But I'm not a conspiracy theorist, okay? Let me make that clear. Just because I know that the that CM Punk and and Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, there's more to that story. Basically, if if Dave Meltzer says, believe this because I'm telling you this, I don't necessarily believe Do you believe, believe the opposite automatically? No, like not, if, no. I just, because I knew, I knew Kenny Omega for a number of years. Yeah. In my, I can't fathom him getting in, being a part of a locker room shoot, right? That's one of my big things of why that didn't happen that way. Okay. So before we go where you want to go, this, this sort of brought up a question for me. Uh, Dave Meltzer, where do you stand on him? In general, like what's your take on Dave? Mel- are you a Dave Meltzer? Are you no. a Meltzer head? No, I, I don't hate him and I don't like him. I, I don't love him. Um, I find him to be insightful on some things and, 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 but I find him to be a little bit conceited and cocky on some things. Like I, I, I've watched an interview with him a couple of weeks ago with the guy who hosts Dutch Mantel's podcast. Right. And he was like, well, if, if that, if that was happening, somebody would have told me, cause I, I was talking to everybody back then. No, Dave, sometimes you don't know. And then he said, when they referenced Bret Hart and the Montreal Screwjob, Savio Vega went on the record and saying he was in the building that night and he saw Vince after he got punched and it didn't seem like Vince had gotten punched. It didn't seem that traumatic or that, or that um, escalated, right? It seemed like everyone was trying to act like it was escalated. Well, if you watch the, the Bret Hart documentary. That's not, I'm going to talk about that, but yeah. But, but you see Vince McMahon walk out after the punch. Selling. He's selling 100, he's selling huge. Yeah. Like that's, that, even as a young person watching that, I was like, that doesn't look real. Yeah, well, there you go. You believe it's a work too. So Savio said he thought it was a work and Dave Meltzer says, well, I think it's sad if people think that because Dave Meltzer wants to seem like he's in the know. Just like how hard he sells that CM Punk against the box and Omega happened the way he says it. But he doesn't know that. See, my argument of why it might have been a work is because it's easier to pull off a work than it was to pull off a shoot. Now, let me tell you, in 1997, 
when Vince McMahon supposedly imposed his will on Bret Hart and and did a, a screw a screw job, a, a, an eft finish, a feast finish, and Bret was made to look like a fool on a national broadcast, a pay per view broadcast. The fact is, the minute that bell went off and Bret realized what was happening, if you watch the sequence. Sean puts him in the sharpshooter. Yep. Earl Hebner supposedly rings the bell, which he did. But if this is all a shoot and Vin, and they're all screwing Brett, they reverse the sharpshooter and Brett could totally screw up Sean Michaels. He could paralyze him if he wanted to. Yes. He knew right away when that bell went off, if this was a work, no, sorry, if this was a shoot, he, he would, he would kill Sean Michaels in that situation. Right, he wouldn't let up. He would kill him. To the f- and and if you think about it, all the chaos. The minute Vince and Slaughter hit the ring, well, Davy Boy and Owen were right there too. Yeah, it would have led to ops absolute chaos. But that's not what happens. See what happens right after Brett drops Michaels from the sharpshooter, so sh- Michaels can roll out, and Brett just stares at Vince, like and and spits on him. Yeah, but it's not chaos. It's a stare down. Let me tell you, yeah. if you if you're screwing a guy over, and, and the whole movie Wrestling with Shadows, Brett is anticipating the the screw over. He would have annihilated Shawn Michaels in that situation, assuming Michaels was in on it, and he wouldn't have just spit on Vince. He would have said, "Get in here and fight like a man." He would have fought him in front of the people. Everything that happened to make the shoot, the screw job. <laughs> I'm all confused. Everything that happened to make the screw job so believable all happened behind closed doors. Uh, here's another thing that doesn't make sense. Brett didn't want the confrontation with Vince on tape in the dressing room. He says, you guys should leave now. But he wore a, he wore a wire and, and tried to get yeah. Vince on the record beforehand. It's all very convenient. I'm telling you this. If I were Brett Hart now, I'd want to come out and say, yeah, I was in on it. I actually thought of it. I was inspired by Brian Pillman versus Kevin Sullivan. And it, it made perfect sense. And it worked in so many ways. Because otherwise, you look like a gullible dupe. Okay, so I got a couple couple things. Tell me why you think it was legitimate the way they presented it. I, I will, but I do want to ask you a little bit about wrestling with shadows. Do you think that, that Brett set that up specifically to add providence to the fact that he was screwed to add another layer? Like, hey, look, I, I called this beforehand. I've got it on videotape on a separate non-WWE documentary. Do you think that was? I think set that's up? convenient. Um, I think that they were doing a or documentary. Work out I think way. they were doing a documentary about Brett's career. But if I remember the way that wrestling with shadows goes, is it goes right through ninety early ninety six mm. when he leaves and he, and he's coming back. So it, they run with him for an entire yeah. year. So I don't think that they knew the finish to the Montreal screw job a that year before. Advance, yeah. But I think the convenience of, Hey, I've got this documentary company following me. They can help reinforce what we're going to try to sell to the people. Realize this, who lost in the Montreal screw job? Well, nobody. Bret Hart signed a bigger contract with WCW. Vince McMahon became the biggest heel in the industry and led to an angle with Steve Austin that lit the business on fire. Shawn Michaels left the heavyweight champion of of a company that was way hotter. Um, nobody lost. Owen Hart got paid more to stay. Davey Boy Smith and Jim Neidhart got paid more to leave. Yeah. And did Jim Neidhart ever do anything in WCW? No, it was a short run, but he got, he got guaranteed money. Yeah, I know that. I knew that. Yeah. I was just, I can't. He I, was on TV a I few times. I don't recall like much of his I think he became run. a Saturday night syndicated right. type of guy. Okay. I'm telling you this, Vince, Brett is much smarter than to get screwed like he did. Earl Hebner's come out and said it was a work. Right? Yeah, he has. I I don't know if I'll give Earl Hebner a lot of credence for that. Like like 
Why now? But the thing is, is Earl Hebner was a big part of selling it as a shoot in 97. He ran out of the building. Dave Hebner was there to drive him out. It doesn't make sense. The thing is, so Vince is going to come see Brett in the locker room, right? Brett's very, very casual. Sean, were you in on that? Yeah. No, not getting in his face and slapping his face. Just were you in on that? And then Vince comes in. He says, okay, guys, I, I, I think we should do this without you here. Except that's the money shot in the documentary. Yeah. Except that it would expose it as a work. And Scott Hall said it was a was a, uh, a work a work too. Yeah. So and Scott I mean, Hall is a lot smarter than a lot of people. When he, the late Scott Hall was a lot Hall. smarter than a lot of people in the business. So if I have to listen to Scott Hall or Dave Meltzer, I'm going to trust Scott Hall's instincts than Dave's yes. because Dave is still a mark. If you listen to Dave talk, he it's what he likes today that he he uses the wrestling observer to promote a narrative that he he personally likes. So he liked Brett and it was Brett told him it was real so he believed it was real. But I think Brett's smarter than that than to get duped like that. Right? See, see like I don't I don't even know where to be on this one. Like I It was I, I think Brett was in on it. I've never been able to say one way or another but I can tell you at the time and through like the late 90s early 2000s my friend, wrestling friends and I, we talked about it ad nauseum, and I was convinced back then that it was a work. I think it became real hostility between Brett and Vince when Owen died. Yes. I don't believe it was real hostility that first year. I think they both used it to promote their narratives. The other thing that's interesting about this is Brett goes to WCW and gets $2.8 million US per year, and he doesn't do anything to get himself on top at WCW. No. No. Every time they go to push him and during that early part of that run for the first year, he gets hurt when they're trying to build him up to something. He never pushes for a match with Hogan, which should have been the the ready-made main event. Well, Be- the story is that they never wanted to work together, though, is it not? Okay, but they, didn't like but they both understood money and drawing. The money was playing back 1993, where Hogan apparently said he wouldn't put Brett over. That That's where the money was. That's where they had to go right away. Yeah, uh, well... I, I, yeah, you're not. If you wrong, listen to Bischoff talk, he just signed Brett because he needed somebody to main event Thunder. He didn't <laughs> even want him. So at the end of the day, I think Vince and Brett came up with it together, sold it to Sean, and didn't even tell the guys in the writing team like Cornette, because Cornette would come out and say it to pop a number on his podcast now sure if he, he knew it was a work. Um, and Vince Russo wouldn't know because they wouldn't entrust. I think they decided it and they said, it does not leave this room. Yeah. And Vince and Brett were the two guys who were most dedicated and Sean to keeping the story the way they presented it that night in 1997. Now, if I'm Vince McMahon or I'm Brett Hart and I want to sell a book that's going to tell that's going to do crazy 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 numbers, I would I would come out and tell the real truth. And but the real truth is Brett could not have been as naive as and I love it when people say, "Oh, Mike, you're so wrong." then you think Brett is a gullible dupe. And I don't. I don't, I, I'm not the biggest Brett Hart fan in the world. Yeah. But he had. He was smarter to know all the, he would have had all of his angles covered in that match. The minute they put him in the sharpshooter and that bell rang and he reversed it and had Sean in the sharpshooter, he would have at least broke his leg if not paralyzed them, paralyzed them. And then he would have sold Vince, come in here and get yours. And normally, and normally I would say, say to what you said earlier about they decided amongst themselves, we're going to keep this secret. Normally, I'd say you can't keep a secret in the wrestling industry because you Those can't. Those three could have. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. Those are the three guys 
I can't think of three other guys that, Brian, could, that Brian, could keep a secret like that. Brian Pillman did it a year before. Yeah. That's the other reason why everyone could, oh, no one could have done it. Brian Pillman did it. Yeah. So why, why couldn't they have done it? You can't tell me Brett didn't know what Pillman was doing and think that's pretty cool. We could do that exact same thing. Everyone benefited from it. So any one of you go to the Mary Brown, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag, ask me questions about it. Send your feedback. If you think I'm crazy, I think you're wrong. How about that? But we're not done there. We're not done there, but oh. that's the Montreal screw job. I've been promising that I was going to talk about that. The guy I was going to try to get on the show to talk about it was Bruce Hart because nobody likes to talk bad about Brett more than Bruce. It would have been great, but we didn't go there. That's just me summarizing Montreal Screwjob. Now, if you want me to take it back to CM Punk and the Bucks and, and Omega, let me just say this. Sure. The Young Bucks are the biggest NWO fans in the world. Yep. Their entire gimmick is a ripoff of the click. Mm-hmm. So you don't think that they're sitting there going, oh, we would love it. They'd be sitting there in a circle jerk loving this to be a part of a work they're like that. They're just soft-headed morons, so I just don't think they can pull it off. <sighs> I, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever come on board with you on this one. I know you're laying out a lot of good points, but I just don't when see When CM Punk gets released and CM Punk starts negotiating with WWE, then I'll start to believe, okay, there was something that really happened there. But right now, this, this forever release negotiation, I don't buy it. I really don't. So... That's that. You you wondered about Nick Aldis and NWA. Yeah, we were talking a little bit earlier before we started here. Uh, Nick Aldis is a, apparently done with the NWA. I think that that is a work, uh, honestly, because they've, <laughs> they've been playing that up on their NWA TV slash their Instagram and stuff yeah. like that. They've been playing it up for a while that there's there's heat between Corgan and Aldis, and then all of a sudden he's got, he's got this exclusive Instagram that he's getting people to pay for basically to, to get the, get the dirt. But his first thing, his first thing was a teaser. Like, you know, the free first hits free, just like drugs. Right. Yeah. So he, he gives us the first hit saying, I am done with the NWA, uh, as of two months from now, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then Billy Corgan and the NWA pretty much immediately released them after he yeah. said, you're not working out your dates. So, I feel like, I feel like. You think it's an angle? I think it's an angle. And and if anybody can pull it off, it's Nick Aldis. Okay. So first and foremost, this, if Aldis is a smart businessman, and I believe he is, he's leaving NWA now Mm -hmm. where where he can go get big money for a run in WWE or, or uh, all elite. I don't think it's a work. I believe maybe there's no hostility between them and it's time for him to leave to go get his money. And this is the blow off angle to get him out. Um, That I could buy. Yeah. I could buy that. I, I think that they probably have a good relationship. They've been together a long time. Uh, for Nick Aldis, if you are indeed a free agent, and I believe you are, the next choice you better pick wisely. So you could sign a similar deal with Impact and become their top guy. My friend Leonard Asper owns it. Yes, he does. <laughs> I'm going to say that a lot. My friend Leonard Asper. Um, or you could sign with WWE or, or AEW. If I was Nick Aldis, I'd sign in WWE. And I'll tell you why. If he signs in All Elite, he's going to debut mm-hmm. strong like Jay Lethal did. And then he's going to be Pac. Yes. He's going to be somebody just mid-card. On the periphery. Yeah. They have a bunch of belts, so you'll get a little bit of gold, but you won't be a main event guy. You won't ever get a sniff of a main event. He goes to WWE. They've got three brands they got to promote. Oh, man. What? I just thought they've got it built in right there. They've got Cody Rhodes, Nick Aldis and Cody Rhodes did a great, that's one thing. But or, they did a great run yeah. and they, those guys had great matches. I believe Nick Aldis could be the greatest polished heel on on a mainstream stage. 
I don't know if WWE will push him that way. They might use him as an intercontinental champion, put him in an angle with Miz. There's so much things that they could do. Impact is the is the dark horse here because he could be their top guy. Yes. Just like he was NWA's top guy. Um, but I think he is crazy if he looks at all elite. Because All Elite will bring him in, yep. start him on Dynamite, and then he'll be a Rampage star, and he not, they'll do nothing with him. There's a, fail. there's a couple interesting matchups, and I've been talking about this again with my wrestling nerd friends. Um, of course, if, we, if we're looking at All Elite, uh, MJF and Nick Aldis would be money. Well, they're but, both heels, but I think MJF might be starting to turn. Yeah, baby exactly. Face. But also William on, Regal with, with uh, Nick Aldis would be interesting as yeah, well. On the WWE side, you've got LA Knight and Nick Aldis would be absolutely killer. Cause LA Knight can talk his ass off. Uh, Nick Aldis is a real good promo too, but they're both phenomenal in the ring. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think you're right. I hope he goes to, if he's going to go somewhere, I hope it is WWE because you're exactly right. AEW, he will become whoever he'll yeah. become. It, it'll be that it'll be Nick, whoever. Yeah. And he's done all he can do in NWA. Yes. He's got to go. Even, even if they're offering him big money to stay, they can't build any more around him. He, he's got to go. It, it is the right time for both the brand and him. You know what's amazing? Well, there you have it. You know what's amazing? When we started this podcast, I didn't want to talk about mainstream wrestling. And now I'm... Look I've, at you. I've been pigeonholed to talk a lot about... You've been pigeonholed? Yes. It's been put upon you? I've stopped talking about Adam Knight because people said I was going too far and he, and he was taking it personally. But I do have one Adam Knight drop oh, in Oh gosh, here. here we go. A fan, Sheldon, great friend of the show. He went up to Adam Knight and he said, Mike Davidson says hi. And Adam Knight said, Who? <laughs> Adam Knight is a liar. Yeah. And and I said to Sheldon, you can't pay to see that. Don't buy a shirt from this guy. Don't, if he's on a show, don't even buy a ticket because he's a bold-faced liar to pretend he doesn't know me. Adam Knight knows me. He's but, punched me for crying out loud. But that's a great answer though. No, it, it's not. It's a great answer. You, you you put yourself on Adam Knight's shoes for a second. Oh, he thinks he, he's probably sitting there puffing out his chest, looking at his tricep. Oh, I burnt Mike Davidson. No, you didn't. I burnt you every time you cut a promo. Every time you cut a YouTube promo that sucks, I burnt you. But I didn't do it to burn you. I did it to try to make you better. So if he, what he could have said to Sheldon is, I hope you aren't listening to that garbage podcast because I'm never going to go on there. No, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't even say the podcast. Because he doesn't want to acknowledge he knows I'm doing a podcast, even though people have texted him and asked him. Uh, Adam Knight, it's time to grow up here, pal. It's, it's 15 years of heat. You're welcome to come on this podcast. Every single guy that's come on this podcast, from Greg Gagne to Gary Michael Capetta to Davey Boy Smith Jr., Vance Nevada, Tony Candela, Wayne Stanton, the list goes on and on. Today will be Danny Duggan. They've all enjoyed their experience, and I don't do anything unprofessional. Unlike you who punched me, that was unprofessional. No, and I will just say this, that ultimately when it comes to the end of the, end of the day, I, I cut these podcasts and I can cut anything I want out of it, Adam yeah. Knight. So if you feel like Mike Davidson sandbags you on the podcast, I can cut it out. Now, in fairness, how many times have you had to cut me sandbags? Zero. Exactly. I've, I've, never, had to because cut, I've it, never had to cut you at all, really. If I invite you to come on the podcast and you come on, it's like agreeing to go into a, a wrestling ring and have a match together. You need to trust me that I'm going to do my part to have a great match with you. Well, when we're on the podcast together, what I want out of it is that we have a great conversation and people get to know you better. And and if you want to air a grievance with me, by all means do it. But Adam Knight, it's time to grow up. Don't sit there and say, who? Like you don't know me. Everyone knows you know me. You, you look like a liar now. Come on this podcast. 
we'll do it. TJ Bratt's going to be coming on the podcast. I look forward oh, to that. Okay. Uh, Spider's going to be coming on the podcast. I'm working on like Gary Michael Capetta. Everyone's like, where did you think of that? Well, because I loved Gary Michael Capetta. Yeah. So, and, and we got more guys like that that we're Yeah, we've got on. some great, great people. We're trying to get Teddy Hart on the podcast right now because I want to ask him about the, the text from Owen Hart. So just understand, Adam Knight, you're not too big for this podcast. You're not bigger than Gary Michael Capetta or Greg Gagne. Use this as an ability to make the people who buy tickets to see you get to see a different side of you. It's time to use media to its full extent. So come on the podcast, be a man. We can shake hands after. We can air our, our dirty laundry on the podcast, or we can shake hands and actually respect each other after. But it's on you, big man. It's not on me. And Coming up after the break, yes. it's going to be Danny Duggan who's going to tell us all about the CWE's business. Hey, B-She's listeners, Steve Rosenthal here from Powertown. As the managing partner and co-founder of Powertown Wrestling, I just wanted to let you know that our Series 1, which includes figures of the iconic Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Magnum TA, Kerry Von Erich, Vern Gagne, and Luthez, are now available for pre-order at PowertownWrestling.com. The figures are $45 each, with bundles available. Each 7-inch scale Ultra figure is also showcased with personalized accessories, ringware, and championship belts. The unique book-like packaging delves into the lives and careers of the wrestlers in this series. Since our inception, we have made it our mission to celebrate the wrestlers that built this sport, and we are so excited to be able to share these figures with collectors and fans around the world. This is just the beginning for us. So be sure to follow us everywhere at Powertown Wrestling on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter. There's much more to come from Powertown, where wrestling lives on. The Total Bees She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bees She's Show on Twitter at Total Bees She's, on Instagram at Total Bees She's, or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. A man who probably should have been on the podcast a lot sooner than now, just like Jeez Weez, it took a long time to get him on. Danny Duggan, probably the most accomplished promoter in Canada right now. He has the biggest geographical reach of anyone with Canadian Canada, Canadian wrestling's elite. It takes two times to get it right. And he is an accomplished wrestler too. How are you doing tonight, Danny? I am doing great. And to your point, I think I'm ranked about 498 on the podcast 500 here for being get put on the podcast this late into its incarnation. Well, you got to aim for 430 because remember in the PWI 500, <laughs> I was 430 in 1997. So you only have to move up about 60, 68 slots and you'll be where I, where I belong. I'll, I'll have to double check, but the one year I was in the PWI 500, I was right around that 430 mark as well. But I think you beat me out by a couple spots. Oh, that's music to my ears. It's great. <laughs> okay, so the Rumble to Remember is coming up. Not the Rumble to Remember tour, but the actual Rumble to Remember in Winnipeg. What can you tell me about that massive event coming up? It is the largest event in all of professional wrestling. It is 50 men, one night, one ring. It's something that started, I want to say, I think 2011 was the first year we did it. And it kind of started as a, a pipe dream. We thought, can we get 50 locals in one ring and one locker room? 
<laughs> and we thought of the possibilities of the magic that could create in both the ring and the locker room. And we were able to pull it off. It did not disappoint. And we've been doing it every year since. And we're going to be doing it again on Sunday, November 27th in Winnipeg. Okay, so you've done it since 2011. This is the first year you invited me to, to partake in this. Did you think I was retired or something? I believe I've invited you in years past, but you probably showed little to no interest, just like you did this year. Oh, no, I showed a lot of interest, let me tell you. <laughs> I was, my mind was this, if I could lose five pounds, and I, the thing is, if I went in there, I wanted the fans in attendance to say, geez, this guy looks like he's ready for a run, not not the, oh, okay, well, here's a little nostalgia act. I wanted people to think I actually was making a full-time comeback if I did it. And I, I couldn't get into shape for it. And nobody you know, was going to think that. <laughs> no, nobody was going to think that. So if, if, it was, if it was a matter of five pounds, I would have took you up for some Burger King before the show. We would have been good to go. Yeah, I yeah. would. Have, yeah, probably because of how fast it moves through me. Um, okay, so who are some of the guys in the Rumble to remember this year? Man, I'm going to have to grab you my list so I don't leave any <laughs> prominent names out here. It's like this thing, I've got one handy right here on the desk. Good. Oh, look at that. Um, so this year, going into 2022, I think we have about 45 of the spots confirmed. Wow. I'm still waiting for Chris Dion to be number 46. But he's he's saving me. He's in. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have a lot of our current roster that's currently scheduled, and we got some blasts from the past, which is kind of the nostalgia of the Rumble, which brings a lot of people out to see locals in their current incarnation and not from what you remember 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we're blending them all together. Yeah. Um, so some of the, some of we got your good buddy, Rob Stardom, who's going to be taking part in the rumble. He trained He's Chris Dion. A, he trained Chris Dion. So it only makes sense. Chris Dion is in there the same time Rob Stardom is that offer still stands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have another Canadian wrestling legend, easy rider. Oh yeah. Another friend of mine. Taking. Yes, and a friend of his who will be making his in-ring return earlier in the card in tag team action and then an appearance in the Rumble for the first time in 10 years, the Canadian crime spree spider. Oh, good. Yes. Another great friend of yours, the outlaw Adam Knight, will oh, be participating. Can we please get a promo on YouTube for that? I, I have been requesting a promo from Adam Knight for the Rumble to remember, so hopefully he delivers on that sooner than later. He, he let got, him he, let him know I will come and help him produce the promo if he needs. I don't, I don't know if that's going to get it done any <laughs> <laughs> Big Cliff Corleone oh, is making his return to the ring. Big Cliff, yes. He he did WFX matches and he like he always always delivered what I needed. He's he I'm no no laughing matter. That's a good get. Another good get and an interesting get that should be interesting for the locker room and once he hits the ring is Primo's wrestling promoter, Mark Merritt. Oh, I can't help it. I'm just sitting here selling every name you, you put over. <laughs> this is great. Uh, I, I don't know if it's as big of a star as Mark Merrick in the Winnipeg market, but we're very excited and thrilled to have Davey Boy Smith Jr. partaking in the Rumble to remember this year. Compar wow. That's comparable to Mark Merrick. Like they're well, they are they are former tag team partners. Yeah, and, but it's every man for themselves. So Mark Merrick Mark Merrick probably has an edge over Davey Boy Smith in this in, in this one. It could come down to the two of them. Yeah, I could see that definitely, definitely, and hopefully when, the when big I, man Adam Knight is in the final three too. When we went for dinner with Nick Aldis after the Primo's Wrestling Show a couple of weeks ago, he was informing me and Nick about his historic tag team run with Davey uh, in the Denver Territory yeah. over dinner. So I, there's there's a lot of history there that could be built on. Yeah, Denver's never been the same since those two were on top of the tag team division. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, 
Just, just as seriously, Scotty Styles has confirmed he'll be participating in the Rumble to remember this year. Scotty Styles, last time he was in the ring, he I remember he broke his ankle on a show and he walked with a cane for a year and then he broke his neck. In the show. So something good will happen with Scotty Styles in there. That, that did happen on one of the early Rumble to Remembers. He, he was he was intro to the ring, and Big Jess had just been eliminated shortly prior to that. And and Scotty Styles was taking his sweet time <laughs> oh, no. to walking around the ring, not paying attention nor giving a fuck to what was going on around him. And before he could turn his head and face forward, Big Jess leveled him with a pump kick oh. and took his head off. Oh, you know, Eddie Watts did that to me once. I've always believed that a guy should be able to sell out to the back without any interference whatsoever. <laughs> That's terrible. So I, I remember popping in the ring. I was in tears yeah. because he absolutely decapitated him. Oh. But, but now he's out, coming back. He's coming back. Not to be outdone, and I, I haven't got confirmation he's participating this year, but another story with Big Jess from that same Rumble to remember, not that you're too far off course here was in the first ever Rumble to remember, we had our good friend, Lord. Oh, Lord Wolfstein. Yes, Lord Wolfstein, that Lord. And uh, to give a little backstory, so we're very excited to have Lord in the first Rumble, as you can imagine. That, that was a big get for us. Yep. And as we're agenting and putting the match together in the back, which is quite tricky with two locals, never mind 50, <laughs> uh, we, were giving, we were giving direction to everybody that when Lord Wolfstein hits the ring, it's as if the Undertaker or Kane himself are entering the Rumble to remember, and we want you to feed in accordingly for Lord because that's the respect he deserves. Yes, yes, absolutely. And everyone so, followed everyone followed direction, I'm sure. <laughs> so I'm like, I think I was number one in this Rumble because I was going to enjoy it right from the beginning to the end. Yeah. And uh, AJ, not to be outdone uh, on the production side of things, made sure Lord was the only one to get strobe lights and a fog machine for his entrance in this Rumble. <laughs> So, so when the goosebumps music hit and Lord Wolstein came through the curtain, there was uh, a giant gasp from the audience. I don't know if it was positive or negative. Yeah, it was um, probably the anticipation. It was probably right away. They were like, "Oh, this is going to be good," and then it was Lord, and then they were like, "This is definitely good." <laughs> <laughs> well, to, 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 like I was still in tears from Scotty Styles getting his head decapitated a minute ago, oh, man. and now I'm crying even harder at Lord Wolstein coming out to this Hollywood. Not not a Coyotes. No, definitely but a Hollywood not. Production. Not a typical Coyotes production. <laughs> so Big Jess taking direction like a good worker would. He knew he had to feed for Lord Wolstein as if it were Kane or the Undertaker. Yeah. Despite him being eliminated, he just happened to be caught in the entranceway when Lord was coming out. He wasn't going to fail his duty. So Big Jess puts up his hand for the double axe handle to feed him for Lord to whoop the shit out of him before he can get back through the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and Jess is walking up to him with the axe handle, ready to go. Yeah. And Lord has no idea the Iggy that's being given to him by Jess. <laughs> and he just stares at him blankly. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. Jess get, just gets up to him with the axe handle and is staring him straight in the face. Like, hitting the top of his And And Lord didn't. Oh no, so he just walked by feeding and got nothing. The worst part yeah, so about he, that is that so I could go to St. Vitale Center and do that to somebody and they would know what to do. Okay, so so what happened? 
So he ended up having to hit Lord with the axe handle oh. and cut him off in his Hollywood entrance oh. and pitch him in the ring like a J-Pro. Oh. <laughs> to which nobody could then feed himself for him like he was the Kane or Undertaker. You know, he was on the beginning of a good run if he'd, if he'd followed, if he'd just caught it and get, and, oh. Yeah, that probably ended that run pretty fast. Okay. He, 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 he could have been on top a year later and. Yeah, unfortunately, it was never came to be. Wow! So, uh, is Lord in this year? I, I haven't heard back from Lord. You know, so maybe I, he hasn't. He I haven't al- recovered yet. I always see Lord at Spirit Halloween, but this year I didn't see him. Unfortunately, I wonder if he's that's, moved to a different city. Maybe that's not a good sign. No, nope. I hope he hasn't. Yeah. Well, Lord, uh, if you're Lord, listening, you're back in the Rumble. You're number forty six. <laughs> well, no, Dion's forty six. Oh. He can have forty seven. Okay, forty seven. There we go. There we go. All right, I'll give you a couple more here. We talked about Hollywood Productions. We do have Marty Goldstein participating in the Rumble to remember. This guy knows Hollywood Productions better than anybody. And uh, a good personal old friend of yours is entering the Rumble that might entice you to change your mind. The outpatient Warren Kowalski will be competing in the 2022 Rumble to remember. Friend of the show. He listens to the Total Bees show. I could see him. I actually could see him going on like a a diesel run and eliminating 12 guys. Uh, Anything is possible. Yes. So he, he, I believe he did our first ever rumble to remember, but we haven't had him back since. So this is a big get for us. Yeah. Because usually, usually when legends such as himself with the local scene have competed once or twice in the rumble, they get their fix and it's, it's hard to get him back for multiple runs. So yeah. now, you know, 10, 11 years in, there's not too many guys, just you two holdouts um, <laughs> yeah. that haven't done the match yet. So we're, we're excited to have Warren back. Okay. Next one. Next one. Oh, you want me to keep on going? Well, if there's another one that I'm going to pop for. Oh man, I I don't I don't want to jinx it because it hasn't been confirmed yet. But this is the closest year I've asked him every single year, and this is the first time he's committed to come down to the training center to get ring ready. And okay, it feels like he can do it. He said he will be there on November twenty seventh. I I'm, I feel like I'm jinxing it though, but I'm really excited. Uh, I hope it comes through, and that is none other than uh, my friend and your old friend. Ronnie attitude. Oh wow. yes. He, that, he, he's good. I hope he does it. And I'm not joking really about that. He, does it. he never gets enough credit for what he did for the local scene from 1999 to 2003. People think I'm ribbing, but I'm dead serious. When I say I was 12 years old going to Chalmers community center, Ronnie attitude was my favorite wrestler. Yeah. He was the, one of the most over guys on the, in the local scene for sure. I hope he does yeah. it. I hope if he's listening, he knows to do it. What about big O is big O on this? <laughs> big O had to decline. Unfortunately, He's, oh. he's, he's currently in the in the middle of a, a personal dispute that's being taken care of, that's taking up a lot of his time. But he has expressed interest in a full comeback to the ring once that is resolved. So you know, we, are, we are hopeful for that. In the King of the Canadian Indies battle royal, Big O was one of the big stars in that. So hopefully, if he's going to come back, a rumble would be the best time for him to come back. And I recall you saying at the time he was an odds-on favorite because of his hairline in 2005. Now he would definitely be the winner. Well, yeah, because he's lost more hair. And yeah, I, at the me, time, me and him both. I at the time had a theory that <laughs> yep. if you you look like a veteran and you look like you have experience, if you're losing your hair, right? Because you're yep. obviously older than like look at Vance Nevada, for instance, right? The more hair he loses, the more over he seems to get in the industry. So he, he that's exactly what my theory was, and it's it's proven true uh, now, 20, 17 years later. It holds water. It holds water. Yeah. Like, the, people called me Dion Malenko because of my awful hairline, and uh, I definitely was not a D- Dean Malenko knockoff. <laughs> Let me just say that. Amazing. Um, okay, so, but, the sh- the sh- so is there more, more to add to the show? 
Uh, well, there's not, but I do have a request. I'm hoping to use the power of your podcast. Because as you mentioned, we do have a couple spots left. And now that you mentioned the King of the Canadian Indies Battle Royal, I'm hoping we can put out an open call and through the power of today's social media and the, and the networks that are out there, two people can be tracked down specifically, and that being the two guys from Iowa. Oh, so if anyone, if, yes. If I don't know who they are, guys, but I know they're from Iowa and they're pretty good. Yeah. yeah, we can find them. There's an open invite for them to return to Canada 17 years later yeah. and participate in this match. They were on AWE's Larger Than Life, so they need to know this. I think the date was March the 2nd, 3rd, or 11th, 19, uh, 2005. So they will remember that based on that. Yeah. So if by March some, 11th. Yeah, March 11th, 2005. So if they hear this and they're like, hey, we're from Iowa and we went to a Winnipeg show and we worked, then they know they're booked and they have to be here on, on November 27th. <laughs> And and man, will they raise hell when they get in there in this rumble? I can tell you that much. Did they ever have their names even announced fully on the pay per view itself, or were they always the two guys from Iowa? As far as I know, here's what I remember: we couldn't remember who they were. So, <laughs> so when we were post producing it, and we didn't know their name, we just said, "I don't know who they are, but I know they're from Iowa, and I know they're pretty good." Because who was the guy? Remember the guy who was very particular about about uh, his his catchphrase being in the name. Um, in that who that was in that battle royal, the Punisher, Rob, Rob. Uh, the- Rob James. Rob yes. James, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. And so we're talking in the back, and I said, okay, Rob James is going to go at that spot. And he said, actually, it's the Punisher Rob James. He was very, very <laughs> particular about that. Where was he from? He's from Minnesota. He's still active to this day. Really? Well, maybe you can get yeah. him up here. Well, I imagine his fee's quite high all these years later, but I'll I'll look into it. Yeah. Or the axe. Yeah. Do you, do you remember the origins of booking the two guys from Iowa and how that came to be? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell the story. <laughs> so it was a WE. It was our first show. We had locked down a pay-per-view uh, access like clearance for Canada for a tape delayed pay-per-view because we, we were able to get a CRTC CanCon number. So that's all we had to do. It was actually easier than people think. And we had to prove the production was worthy to actually air on video on demand and pay-per-view. So I guess maybe it was so you. you two guys from Iowa. Well, no, it might have been you or Rob Stardom <laughs> called me and said, "Hey, do a battle royal." And I said, "But then those guys won't buy tickets, all the locals, right?" And he said, "Well, no, no, they'll still pay to be in the battle royal because it's to be on pay per view." I think it was Stardom who came up with this idea. It was a. It, it, it sounds terrible, but then I think it was your networking that got this carload from Iowa to come up because they were going to be on pay-per-view. So they did it and they showed up and they were, they were great professionals. Like I couldn't say a bad word about them. I just can't, I can't remember their names or anything about them, but they just, they stood out as good guys. So yeah, that's how they, they got booked. They, they answered the open casting call. That was definitely a Rob Stardom idea because he opened up a company and ran for five years with the same philosophy. Yeah, and it worked. Like <laughs> <laughs> People will pay to be on shows. Um, okay, so the, the show is November 27th. What is the venue in Winnipeg? It's at the Holy Eucharist Paris Center on the corner of Monroe and Watt. And how can people get tickets? CWETickets.com. They're also available at local stores, Punjab Convenience, yeah, in that's... the Maples, Video 1001. And they are also available at Blade Hair Design on Henderson and Springfield. Okay, so if you're a fan 
of wrestling and you like a good rumble or a battle royal and you're going to be in Winnipeg, that's the show to check out. Now let's talk about CWE's business across Canada. You recently debuted Davy Boy Smith in Saskatchewan and I heard wonderful things about how, how well those shows were attended. Then today I see that you announced Rhino's coming to the next tour of Saskatchewan. How is the state of the business for you right now and like what parts of the country are really doing well for you? Um, things are really, really good. It's, uh, it's been the most challenging time as a promoter I can ever imagine in our near 14 years of running, just because the economy is in a state it's never been in before. Mm-hmm. Therefore operating expenses are at an all time high, uh, especially when it comes to importing talent. So that's been a little bit of an obstacle and why we had to scale back from, from doing our 30 day, you know, 30 plus day tours pre pandemic to doing little pockets like we are right now. And that's what we're kind of doing. We're kind of sticking to the areas that are, you know, solidified and, and, doing really well consistently for us. So we're kind of rotating back and forth between a Manitoba loop, which has Winnipeg as the nucleus of it. And then we're trying some small rural areas that are around it to, to see which ones work, which ones don't. So we can continue to build on this market moving forward. And we got some really good things going on in Ontario. Uh, Thunder Bay has always been a major, major market for us. And that is not disappointed since we returned uh, a few months ago. Sault Ste. Marie as well. And just based on the success of Sault Ste. Marie and Thunder Bay, we've been able to start expanding further east. So we just did Elliott Lake and Sudbury this time out to great success. And we'll be returning to all those markets uh, early in the new year. And then the surprise, uh, the surprise one in the race has been Saskatchewan. That one keeps growing faster and faster than the others, um, which is no surprise. We were doing quite a few Saskatchewan markets pre-pandemic as well. Uh, but they're picking up and building up steam a lot faster than the others are. Um, just, I think based on, you know, us being one of the only companies, I think outside of Regina, all the other markets were the only wrestling company that's exclusively running in them, which is a, which is a big benefit to have. Uh, so we've been seeing a lot of growth in Saskatchewan, Yorkton specifically, Prince Albert's doing really well. We're, we're seeing great success in Southern Saskatchewan, which you would never expect in markets like Weyburn and Carnduff, which we did for the first time last year, which I didn't even know existed until that time. Wow. Carnduff's Uh, small too, isn't it? Yeah, we're very lucky. One of our one of our young wrestlers from there, Levi Knight, is from Carnduff, Saskatchewan, and his family pretty much runs every major business in the town. So they are the town, <laughs> and uh, people come out and support them and, and support the products we bring. So we've been very, very lucky with that. Um, but we've done three events there, and they keep coming back out strong, which is a testament to the boys going in and putting the work to keep them. So we've been very, very lucky uh, in Saskatchewan to keep it growing. And as Mike mentioned, uh, we got Rhino coming back to kick off the new year with five events, which will be the largest tour we've done uh, for major cities in that province since coming back. Rhino will be a big star for you. Uh, what's happening in Alberta? Are you taking a break from there, or are you still going in there hard? Taking a break. We we, we gave it a try. We were running Alberta probably more than any other place during the pandemic because they were a little more flexible on their regulations. So we were going there and doing quite well, and it kept us afloat uh, during the pandemic in terms of being able to have a live audience and have revenue come in. Um, Unfortunately, with things opening up since... well, it's, a, it's a little bit of a long answer, so I don't know how much time you got and want me to put in that as, answer. Take as time as you want. Take as much time as you um, want. Yeah, so we, as of, we, we tried a couple events there. We did Medicine Hat, Red Deer, Calgary this past summer, and we made the decision to kind of hold off and stay out of the Alberta market, um, which is really unfortunate because pre-pandemic, Alberta was by far our best-grossing province, and now it's become the least of the four we are running, and there's multiple factors that uh, kind of go into that. Um, back last fall, when vaccine passports were put into place, we made the decision to not operate in markets where that had to be enforced because we realized it was going to split our audience 
audience one way or the other. And what, regardless of what side of the fence you were on, you were losing half of that audience and it was just a bad PR move across the board. So we decided we were going to sit and just hang tight and we'll operate again when everybody can come and it's deemed safe for them to do so. That way we didn't risk alienating any of our fans, especially ones that have been with us for as many years as they have. Um, so in the process of doing that, some stronghold markets like we had, like Red Deer, Grand Prairie, Medicine Hat, some other local assholes decided they were going to jump in and try to take over the territory. And that's essentially what they did. And now here we are six months later, none of them are running in those markets anymore because they went and burnt them to the ground. Yeah. And that included it for us too. So the key to our success in a lot of those markets were we were running them three times a year. Yeah. Um, that, that was the key to doing it. So as soon as we made it official and announced like, Hey guys, we're stepping out. We're not going to be going in here and running until it's okay for everybody to attend again. Multiple organizations jumped into each of those markets because they figured they had a gold mine on their hand based on the success we had built in those places. And they started both, both companies, if not three in some markets started running the monthly. Yeah. For a town like Medicine Hat, for example, that was consistently 400 plus for us, based on us running three shows a year there, we're now getting, I think in the span we were gone, I think we were, I think we were out of there like five or six months before the restrictions were dropped. They had seen something like 16 shows or something like oh. that in the span of five months. So by the time we went back there, it was just completely burnt. The people were burnt out. They were confused on which product was which because more times they're not. They don't know the difference between the independent organizations. It's all alphabet soup to them, especially when you have the same locals appearing for multiple companies on those shows. Yeah. And then to make matters worse, in a lot of these markets as well, they were going directly into our venues with talent we had used. And then also, on top of it, approaching our sponsors, thinking it was safe to do so because we were on a hiatus from the town. So they burnt them out as well. So uh, long story short, or to, to put that into context, it, it essentially kind of dried up a lot of those markets for us where it's not viable to be traveling out from Manitoba to take a risk and try to rebuild them at this time. So we're really hopeful that these guys are going to stay out for a while. Probably not wishful thinking. And, uh, you know, they have because they've been losing money themselves and they learned it was a bad business model for them too. But we're hopeful with time, it will kind of reset and refresh and we can get back in there because we do get constant messages from people looking for us to return it's just not financially viable, especially in a day and age where gas is more expensive than ever to be going across the country. Yep. Gotcha on that. Uh, so as a promoter, this is a question that AJ Sanchez is probably going to want to punch me in the chops for, but you have the most dates out of any promoter in Canada. Have you thought about asking for a commitment from guys where they only work for CWE in, in certain provinces so that they, you, these people can't do that and run against you using the same guys? I thought about it. Um, but I've also been a big advocate, um, against it for so many years because yeah. as a talent i understand that you need to make your money where you can and if a date is open yeah. and you've got bills to pay you have the right to do so um i think if i was running maybe a smaller more exclusive crew that was guaranteed every date that would be something i'd be able to look at a little more comfortably but between the three provinces like we're we're using 50 60 guys in rotation so in order for me to tell a guy like hey you can't wrestle for that company in that town I have to guarantee I can get on each and every one of the dates I do there, which I don't think is, is viable to do. Yeah. Especially when you're running a 10 to 12 man crew and you get, you got to keep different guys in rotation to keep the shows fresh. Yeah. Um, and just based on guys availability, differing and things of that nature in a perfect world as a promoter, I understand the appeal. If you wrestle for me, you don't wrestle anywhere else. I think it'd be great if my guys didn't wrestle anywhere else. I just don't think it's realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I try to ask talent. I've, I've never asked talent to not work on a show before. All I've asked is if somebody's attacking our business or going out of their way to harm our business, 
which some of these companies were doing. And it was kind of getting to that point where if it continued, guys were probably going to be given that call. Yeah. Um, but it's always been, if, if guys are at least putting forth a good product and representing the business, well, go and make your money. But if they're intentionally taking a shit on the business, that's going to affect our ability to go and make money and continue to pay you when they're long gone, then maybe reevaluate uh, your intentions on doing this show. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this. Why, I guess it's because you're the only one that works all those provinces, but why is it that they're teed up to just try to affect CWE's business? Is it because you're the leader in all those markets probably, hey? At one point we were, um, and you you can attest to this because you've been around for so long. Local wrestling as a whole is usually driven more by ego than it is brain. Yep. Um, Or, and it's more driven by ego than the, the will or desire to make money. So if somebody sees us going into a market, well, I'm going to go into that market too because they don't want to be perceived as lesser than, or they feel if we're doing well, they can, you know, their product is just as good, if not better. So they can go piggyback it and do just as great. And it's never once worked out that way. And that's why like I'll intentionally stay out of some markets that I know are being oversaturated. That would be ideal for me to stop in on a geographical level, um, a part of my tours. But it's like, well, it's a smaller market. This guy's already here this many times a year. It's not going to work out for me and it's not going to work out for him. So don't do it. And a lot of these guys don't have that same mentality. If they can go in and they can, you know, fuck our show and still get out ahead barely on their end, it's a success because they can say, hey, we're in this market too. Look at us. We're growing. We're doing just as many towns. Regardless of them doing just as many towns, mean they're making money or not, it's completely irrelevant. It's all for show and perception. And that's what a lot of these guys run on. What will to, what will 2023 look like for CWE? Do you, do you plan to expand or just continue to build the markets that are strong for you? Um, both we're definitely going to have a major focus on building these, these loops that we've found to be very successful for us. We're still kind of working out the kinks because the economy keeps on changing. Like the U S dollar, it's almost 41% now to, to buy U S currency from the bank, uh, which really changes and limits your options in terms of talent. You can have come in flights are more expensive. Uh, so we're really trying to hone the, the model on what's going to be successful to continue doing big scale shows with big scale names in these markets. So that's going to be kind of a, always a, a changing scenery, I believe. Um, but I'd like to continue to expand. Like I would like to get back to Alberta in 2023. I don't think that's out of the question. I think it's just going to be a matter of finding a more viable way to do it. Um, and I think with time, um, and I, I don't know if I fully answered this when we are talking about Alberta being a shit show, there's something like eight or nine companies running there now. Which, which sort of was in Winnipeg at one point when we first started, and that died pretty quickly because it's just not sustainable for everybody. So I imagine there'll be a lot of that in Alberta too because you've got in some markets like four or five shows um, in the span of two, three weeks there. Sometimes guys are running the same night of each other in the same city. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a matter of who's more stubborn and who's got more money to burn um, for a lot of these companies. So I think in the next, you know, I, I gave it six months, so probably about that, you know, maybe a little bit longer. Some have deeper pockets than I imagine. Um, you'll start to see some kind of fall off the wayside a little bit because you can't keep running um, at the expense it is right now to operate and lose money each and every time unless you really, really got deep pockets and you've got you know an ego that needs to be sued, which unfortunately some of them do, so it might take a little bit longer than others. But I think once things settle down in Alberta and we're not being so aggressively attacked, uh, we'll be able to kind of move in there when there's a little more, a little more, or sorry, a little less frequency between dates. Um, I'd like to get back, you know, back into Eastern Ontario as well. And I think we're close to getting there now that Sudbury's proven it could be, you know, uh, viable for us. We can keep on moving forward and, you know, Toronto, Ottawa, places like that, that we just started operating pre pandemic are not too far out of the question. Yeah. So I think it's just going to be, you know, just taking it month by month. And that's kind of what we've been doing. 
you know, in years prior, if I had one tour booked, I had the next one booked to announce at that tour, ready to go, talent lined up. Now it's very much a wait and see approach where we book a tour, see how the market's responding. Because you could just tell people spending habits are changing. You're having people contact you say, hey, I'd love to come, but it's a matter of buying a wrestling ticket or paying my utility bill this month or paying my groceries. So there's a lot of wait and see and just kind of taking it day by day, making sure that the, the model is sustainable and people are going to be able to afford to keep on supporting it at the level they are. What are what's one of the main things that you've noticed to, you've had to adjust to with this new economy? Because you, you just mentioned uh, people's spending habits change. And I would imagine as a promoter, you have to make some adjustments as well, some belt tightening as well. Oh, 100%. Uh, there's, there's multiple changes. Like first and foremost, it's something that I wasn't thrilled we had to do. Uh, but, you know, we've had to increase ticket prices across the board in every market, you know, significantly from what they were in 2019. I think, they're you know, four or five dollars more than they were. And that's, you know, not out of greed by any means. It's by necessity, just because the gas price is so expensive now when you're hauling multiple vehicles across an entire province, if not, you know, two provinces, those gas bills, like just just hauling the ring truck yeah. and trailer. It's ridiculous. Like if people saw the receipts at the end of these trips, they'd think we're crazy for even attempting it because there's so much money that can be lost just on the operating expenses. Um, so we've had to make some changes in that regard, um, just in terms of pricing. You know, luckily, uh, you know, I think everybody has. So we're not we're not the only ones guilty of that. When I looked at other organizations, they're charging. I think I think like our low end tickets twenty two dollars, and people are still on the low end. Other places charging 25 or 30 for what I would say is an inferior product. So I'm still proud that we're able to keep it at a level that's affordable for people while we can and hope to continue to. Um, so that's been a major, that's been a major change that I think you're going to continue to see change, not only with us, but with everybody as the economy adjusts or settles or whatever it's going to do. Um, also just smaller crew sizes. Like if you look at some of those pre pandemic tours we were doing, like, and, and it was to a detriment, it's not something to brag about, but some of those shows were loaded with like 15, 20 guys because there was so much work to be had that we had guys coming up from multiple territories, different countries, different major organizations willing to work for a fraction of the price uh, just because there's so much work to be had over such a long period of time that we were getting just amazing deals on guys that we couldn't turn down. So we would have these shows that were loaded with 15, 20 guys um, and every show was just stacked head to toe. Now you're running with, you know, 10 guys on the road. You know, you know, I, I remember working for Ernie back in the day where you were working, there were six of us going on the road and working two, three times. Luckily we're not there yet. And hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but it's, it's, it's similar where we've had to downsize instead of giving them that full volume show from, from start to end. It's like, you're now having to select 10 talent, try to make sure they're the best available in that market and make, the best best of it you can creatively and, and with the, the caliber of matches that are being had. So it kind of kind of cuffs you a little bit creatively because when you only have 10 wrestlers opposed to, you know, 14, 15, 16, there's only so much you can do on any given show and in terms of setting up return business and things of that nature to keep people intrigued. So that's been a, a, a juggling act that we're still trying to figure out as we go. Um, so that, that's been a major one. So I would say that, you know, the ticket, ticket prices and just, having to downsize in terms of the amount of talent because not only gas, but like hotel rooms too. So you, that really limits the amount of bodies you want to bring on the road. You know, it's independent wrestling. So we're, we're all pretty familiar with stacking a couple guys in a room when we need to, and being a little uncomfortable if it means getting to the next day and still making a couple dollars for everybody. Um, but when you're doing these small towns prior, you can get, you know, a side of the road motel or a small town hotel in Yorkton or, Thunder Bay for 70, 80 bucks a night. Like you're looking at a bare minimum, 130, $140 a night now. So you're having to really downsize the amount of bodies you have on the road because, you know, if you have 
four too many or six too many, you're now looking at an extra three, $400 a night. And that adds up really quick on top of the gas. So that's, that's been some of the major, major things we've noticed that we're still navigating and trying to figure out the proper system for. So uh, just sort of to build on that, is there, and I'm going to put you in the spot a little bit here, but is there like a one thing or, um, you know, maybe one or two things that you can think of that you've sort of dug in your foot, your feet and been like, I am not cutting costs on this area. Like I am not using inferior this, or I'm not doing inferior that. Like, have you just been like, had to dig in and be like, we'll eat the cost. Still bringing in a headline talent every tour. Yeah. That's, that's something I don't, that's something I don't back down on. And it's, it's more expensive than it's ever been. Like I mentioned, you're buying, you're buying the Canadian, the Canadian to us dollar. Once you pay bank fees, I think the last time I went was about 41%. So if you just do the math, the guy's asking a thousand dollars a night, you're looking at almost 1500, you know, just based on that exchange to, to make that up. And then flights are more expensive than ever. If you were, if you're purchasing a flight almost anywhere round trip from Winnipeg, uh, from the U S pre pandemic, you're looking at about five, $600. And that was on the, that was on the high end. If you if you got in if you got into that five six hundred dollar range, it was alarming, but it was comfortable. You're like, okay, I can make this work. Now it's very common practice that flights are a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars, thirteen hundred dollars. So just it, it's really skyrocketed to a point where you know I've asked it, and other people have asked, is it worth bringing in a talent? Or sometimes they're question like, oh, is that guy a big enough name or a big enough star? And, uh, you know, sometimes the answer is no, not necessarily, but it's a necessity to still give the fans some kind of special attraction and headliner that they're familiar with off TV that nobody at all. Uh, so you have to kind of adjust and work with what you got, because unfortunately, you know, some of your first choice talent or some of the bigger stars that you know would do good business for you um, or do good business considerably might not add up at the box office and start factoring in the exchange rate and the flight rate and all these other operating expenses that go into it. So that's something we haven't backed down on at all because I think it's a necessity uh, to being a touring brand. It's definitely, it's, it's definitely been the key to our success. There's been a lot of you know doubt about that over the years on why do you keep on doing it, but it's, it's worked for us and it's kept us afloat and it's never, you know, it's never steered us in the wrong direction because it's always, you know, it's always good for going to sponsors. As Mike could probably attest, and you've got TV names on that sponsorship package or on that poster, and you say, "Hey, we're coming to town. This guy's going to be here." Um, it drums up, it drums up sponsorship business that otherwise probably isn't going to be there. And or, media or, you know, very, interest too. And media interest. You nailed it. Yeah. You know, like we announced Rhino today. I think I've already gotten three or four media inquiries, and it's two months from now. Yeah. Um, just based based on his name, so. Um, you both have worked in media, you know, how expensive those ad buys are. So if I can get Rhino on the radio for five minutes, talking, talking the show up and in the process, getting them to do ticket to giveaways for the weeks leading up to that interview, that's thousands of dollars in free revenue. That's worth its weight in gold. So that's, that's one thing I have never backed down from and, and probably won't. Yeah. Good job. Um, one thing I appreciate about this is you've nailed it on how you run your business and why you are the leader of the pack. Um, but wearing the hat of promoter and still being a top level wrestler, it's hard to balance both. Have one or the other suffered because of the commitment to both? You obviously haven't seen me work in some time. I don't know if I could be considered a top level wrestler anymore. But thank you. <laughs> I still think you are, but I know you're. I know there's some miles on on the on the tank. So where do you do you sacrifice being the wrestler you once were by being the businessman and the promoter? Um, I would say it was more of a sacrifice in years past when I was more focused as a wrestler and, and promoting kind of went hand in hand with it to, you know, create opportunity for myself and other talent. Uh, because I had, a, I felt there, 
especially when I was not that I'm completely put out the pasture yet, but especially when I was, you know, younger and, and full of piss and vinegar and chasing opportunities and getting international opportunities and things of that nature, you have a chip on your shoulder that you are the best or you believe you can be the best. So there's, there's some shows where you're juggling a lot and you still want to go out there and have the best match on the show. Uh, not only for your own personal gratification, but because it's your company. So you want to lead by example. And if you go out and have the best match, then there's no reason everybody shouldn't be trying to follow it. Um, so there was definitely maybe more of a pressure then, especially when we had, you know, you know, multiple talents from Ring of Honor on each card and Impact and guys from Japan. Like you as a performer, you live for being able to keep up with the pack and, and going out there and, and being the best. So there's more of a pressure then. Uh, now I don't necessarily feel that same pressure um, because I'm not necessarily chasing the same opportunities I was then, um, as an individual. Um, but at the same time too, like there's some miles in me, like I've been working with a torn ACL since last August. Uh, that's, that slowed me down considerably. Um, but I don't think is, is hindered my, my presentation. I've learned to alter what I do and change direction on how I'm presented to be, I think even more effective than I was before, uh, with this current heel run that I'm doing. Um, so now I feel even, I feel less pressure, uh, because, because the character and presentation of what I'm doing comes very naturally and very easy to me. Um, and it's a different style of wrestling and it's a different, you know, style of presentation. Uh, so I don't necessarily, I, I, I can literally, I, I'm confident I can get in the ring with anybody of any level or experience level, you know, top or bottom of the tier and go in and deliver my segment now because I've got that character down packed to, to what's successful and what isn't in these markets. So now there isn't as much pressure as there used to be. Excellent. We're going to have you on again, but my, one last question before we let you go today. How many events do you think CWE will run in 2023 and how many roughly did you run in 2022? How many? I know our total count is almost at 700 because Vance Nevada told me that. <laughs> um, Friend of the show. Yeah. Friend of the show, ah, man, I think we probably we probably get around fifty or sixty this year. I would think, and that's just right off the top of my head. I would like to get back to around a hundred. We were doing a hundred to one hundred twenty a year pre-pandemic, so I'd like to get back up to that by the end of two thousand twenty-three, or at least be on pace for that. Excellent. Um, okay, last question. Last question. This is officially the last one. Uh, I get blamed for all your ribs. <laughs> Why is it no one <laughs> believes that you pulled the ribs? They all believe I did it. They all believe I'm the Rokeby River. They all believe I sent Pepito into the ring. Why is it nobody believes you ever pulled the ribs? Because I didn't do it and you did. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> That's the best place to leave it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Danny, we're going to have you on again in the new year to talk about 2023 CWE and more specifically you as a wrestler and less as a promoter. But thank you for being so gracious with your time today. Uh, how can people follow you on social media? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Hotshot Danny Duggan. And they can follow CWE on the same format, at CWE Canada. Perfect. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESCHEESE. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. Hey, this is Mr. Beefy Goodness Vance Nevada, the author 
of Uncontrolled Chaos, Canada's remarkable professional wrestling legacy. You may have heard me on episode 17, and you're listening to the Total Bees She's Show. And now it's time for the Mary Brown's Mailbag. Mary Brown's Crave Delicious. Who has 14 Manitoba locations? Mary Brown's Chicken. Who only uses Manitoba chicken? Mary Brown's Chicken. And who only uses Manitoba-grown potatoes hand-cut in-store? I bet you've already guessed. Even Mary Brown's coleslaw is made fresh in store from whole carrots and cabbage. Download Mary Brown's app today and take advantage of money-saving deals and even a secret menu. You can order ahead to get your Mary Brown's faster. Mary Brown's Chicken. Crave delicious. All right, Mike. Another edition of Mary Brown's Mailbags. The questions are flowing in. Of course, you can get your questions asked, or rather answered, by getting at us on social media, Total Bees She's, and uh, also... In our inbox, totalbshes at gmail.com. And what's that hashtag, Mike? Hashtag Mary Brown's Mailbag on Twitter and just ask the question. I'll find it. We'll, we'll, ask, we'll answer it. All right. And this is the first one coming in from the inbox. Dick. From Dick. He's asking a question. Dick who? Does, doesn't matter. Dick Dick somebody. There's lots of dicks. Over. I know a lot of dicks. Okay. <laughs> I believe that you do know a lot of dicks. All right. Dick asks, now that Spirit Halloween is done, Cut the crap. When are you starting up? Is Dick a, a code name for you? No, no, it's not me. Well, it might be. It's me. obviously a rib. I'm not starting up. I'm like, come on now. Is that, is that it? Because I feel like there's more there. I feel like I feel like you are starting up. Why do you think that? Well, I don't know. You know, since we started the podcast, you see me I once see, a week. I see I exactly. I see you more than most people. Most people in your life, I probably see you more because you work crazy hours. Yeah. So I think. I think since the podcast started, the wheel started turning and you're like, you know what? I'm talking about a lot of this stuff. I'm talking about how I would do it. Maybe I should. (laughs) You just answered the question. I work a ton of hours. I don't have time to even start up. So not happening. You're done with, you're done with Spirit Halloween though. Yeah, but it's not the only job I have. (laughs) That's that's true. Okay. Next question. All right. Let's move on from there. All right. This one's coming in from good friend of the show, super fan, Dave Cote. And he asked this one on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag. Do you feel we are in a peak of Canadian, Canadian indie wrestling? Do you see things continuing to grow or plateau and then decline? Last week, we didn't answer a question from Dave. So he did ask a question, but we missed it. Um, Thank you for sending the question. Thanks a lot, Dave. Uh, I will say this. I don't think we're at a peak. He would have a, as good a perspective as I do because he's a ticket buying fan. They're the most important part of the equation, as I always say. He is. Uh, I think Danny hit the nail on the head when he was talking about too much saturization and it hurting markets. I think what we're going to see now is some of that weed itself out and the good promoters are going to run and they're going to draw bigger crowds because of it. So... The answer is we are not at a peak. We hopefully are getting to a healthy stage for promoters post-pandemic against inflationary costs. Um, I would like to see that the promoters succeed and I would like to see the ones that are doing serious last and the ones that aren't really doing it well get get the fees out of the way. If they do that, then it should be good. But not at its peak yet. Keep buying tickets. Uh, support the brand you like the most. That's what you got to do. Okay, so I'm just going to build off that. And this is, we're going off road a bit here, but I want to ask you, is there something 
Is there a new frontier for wrestling promotions that are they're not tapping into right now? Like, oh, I've, I talked about this in the first ten episodes of the podcast. Just, just like one, like is it is it a digital like is it digital marketing? Is it is it videoing their shows and putting them up? Like, is there is there do you see the next thing? How being, long are you going to give me to answer I'll, that? I'll give you as much time as you want. Okay, first and I foremost, never do this by the way. Digital, but I'll give you lots of time. Digital advertising. They all think they're doing it well. They're not doing it great. Uh, they could all do it better. Second, videotaping their their shows and putting it out there a lot of times exposes that they aren't putting enough money behind production. And as Danny said, inflationary costs are not making that very feasible right now. I think what they need to do is make sure that their graphic design is perfect. I've explained what they need to do. Get rid of these posters that have 12 people, get to the two main drawing cards or the three or four main drawing cards and draw off of that. Make sure you make it family friendly. And if you have to charge more because of inflation, which Danny talked about, uh, make sure that people leave feeling that they got money well spent and schedule your shows against the least amount of competition. If you have competition in the marketplace from a local who's running a date against you, um, make sure you have the best crew possible. Make sure you're not using anybody that's unqualified to be on a show and make sure when people leave, they go, wow, I can't wait for the next one and make sure you do your part to connect with your audience so that you can continue to communicate with them after. Make it feasible or some might say bees feasible. <laughs> All well right. done. That's terrible. All right. Grant asks this one coming in. Uh, with the hashtag Mary Brown's Mailbag, Grant asks, if Impact Wrestling decided to run Winnipeg, how do you think it would draw? Oh, great question. That is a good I, question. I did specifically ask my friend Leonard, Leonard Asper, the <laughs> owner of Impact Wrestling. I did specifically ask him why he doesn't run Winnipeg because Winnipeg has very, very healthy market for WWE. And it's a market that all elite, I do know, tried to get into Canada Life Center to run Winnipeg. And they haven't been able to get the building. Uh, because of a relationship with WWE that the building has. I believe if they got the Winnipeg Convention Center mm -hmm. or they got maybe the Investors Group Athletic Center, which is right next to the yeah. Fleming Arena, which is where the Winnipeg Ice play, there is no reason properly promoted and with the right drawing card on top. And if they were able to engage the help of a local wrestling company, maybe Winnipeg Pro Wrestling, they should be able to draw 700 to 1,000, maybe even 1,200. But the big thing would be how hungry are the fans to go to Mary Brown's? <laughs> Very hungry. Or how hungry are the fans to go see an Impact Wrestling card in Winnipeg? Fans of Winnipeg support wrestling. They love it. Anytime I've ever promoted, I always knew that there was going to be a healthy audience, unless there wasn't, and it was at the convention center, and it didn't go well in 2007. I think it would draw really well. I think I think WWE will consistently draw five to seven, eight, nine thousand for their TV events they do in Winnipeg. I think All Elite would do six or seven if they can get into Winnipeg. I think Impact realistically could do twelve to fifteen, definitely in that thousand range, and they should be very happy with that. That should give them something to build off of. Yes. Um, so that's my number. That, that, that's fair. And, and you, you mentioned all elite there. I think they'd sell out the first time. Depends on what they did with Jericho and Omega on the show. Yeah. I think they sell out the first time because it's the new toy and Winnipeg loves the new toy. Well, so UFC sold out the first time it came to town in 2013. Yeah. I don't think they did as well the second time. Uh, and they haven't been back a third time since the pandemic, but I would imagine they're due to come back anytime. Um, I think all elite, a sellout for them would be 7,000 because they'll cut off a lot of the the bowl right. to set up their TV stage because they only do TV. 
I think Tony Khan's going to get into Winnipeg. I think he is too. I just think it's going to be that they're going to pay an exorbitant fee to get to Canada Life Center, as opposed to the way Canada Life Center does business with WWE, which is a partnership. Fair enough. There we go. That's the Mary Brown's Mailbag for this week. Again, get at us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, hashtag Mary Brown's Mailbag, and totalbeesshe's at gmail.com. And before we're done, let's wrap it talking local, because right. I love to talk about the locals. A lot of good things happening. Danny, being on the show, talked about his tour coming up in Saskatchewan with Rhino. Yeah. He's uh, going to go back to Ontario. Uh, Winnipeg Pro Wrestling is going to do December 9th. I wish them the best of luck. They, they're they going to knock it out of the park. My friend, Top Talent wrestling, uh, Pro Wrestling in Edmonton, they got a show right before Christmas, Top Talent Wrestling yep. Academy. Um, support, the, support your independent favorite that's trying their hardest to give you great value for the entertainment dollar. That's what fans need to do. Keep doing it. Uh, Primo's, they've got a show coming up in December. I think it's 16th. It's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yes. And they keep bringing, Primo's keeps bringing Silent in, Night, inter- Violent Night. Keeps I think bringing it's called. In interesting talent. Well, they got the ball. Primo's is doing Bollywood Boys Return. Yeah. Um, best of luck. I think promoter Mark Merrick is trying his hardest to, to really do something and exist. Whatever happened to 3D Pro Wrestling? <laughs> they, oh, yeah, I remember They're that. done. Um, but, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. It's November. It's Sweeps Month. We've been loving the amount of listeners we've been getting. Keep it up. We are going to keep up bringing on great guests. We're going to keep on talking about things like the Montreal Screwjob, which was not a screwjob. It was the Montreal work, and you all got worked. Um, but that's all I got to say. Glenn Goes is ready to wrap us up. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Eriks can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I'd like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling.
Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover, and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon? <laughs>